I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Folks, we don't get many of these. This has really been a wonderful fall. Usually our seasons in Texas, for those of us who live here, goes hot to cold to hot. That's about it. But uh, we sure have had a really great, great weather pattern this year. And anyone who complains is just ignorant. Doesn't mean it's going to hold because if you go to the Farmer's Almanac, the hell with what the meteorologists say. They can't forecast two days in front of their hand. It's going to be, by their forecast, similar to what we had last year, but they aren't seeing another one of those massive cold cyclones dropping down from the north all the way down to Houston. That wasn't in the almanac, but it doesn't mean it won't happen. So until then, we'll just enjoy what we got. If you want to call into the show, the number is 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. You can also listen to it on iHeartRadio at 631-359-9353. That's if you're having a problem trying to get the link to work. Which, you know, it's technology. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But plenty of options to be a part of the show. And if you enjoy the content, I need subscribers. And that runs anywhere from $2.99 to $9.99. You go to BBS Radio 1. And I believe you click on the show. And that's where you can become a subscriber. Because that's what keeps this alive. And, you know, also comments. If you watch the video live or if you watch it later because you missed the show, Well, comments drive it. And the more comments I get, that means we have that much more audience participation because that's what this is all about. It's not for me. It is for the listeners. And right now, I have been watching the Michigan State-Michigan game. What is it? 30 to 22 in the fourth quarter with 13 minutes left to go. I'm not a fan of Harbaugh, so I'd like to see Michigan State win. I don't have a dog in the race, but still, it has been a good game. So maybe Harbaugh, after his years of pathetic showing, has got a team together that might be a true contender. Okay, what else? I still have my GoFundMe at Jeff Dawson, motivational speaker and author for hire. And that is based off of the book, Cutting to the Chase. And that's on Amazon. And it really is a no-nonsense book because today there's so much nonsense going on. It just drives me nuts. I don't care if it's politics or general issues, but there just aren't a lot of happy people. And 
I don't know if it's because they're dancing around issues. They're trying to be politically correct. They don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. When I was growing up, we really didn't care about that. We just did what came natural. If we made a mistake, we sincerely apologized for it. Unlike today, where every time somebody says what's on their mind, they have to retract the statement and come up with some ridiculous BS about, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, what a crock of shit. Really? You know, yes, sometimes in the heat of an argument, we might spout things off and say, well, yeah, that might not have been the right thing to say. But 90% of the time, we say exactly what's on our mind, and then we have to apologize for it. Oh, the hell with that. If I'd have done that, I'd have been apologizing for every meeting I walked into when I hurt everybody's feelings, when I gave them the facts and that they didn't like. Well, they didn't want to hear that. I don't care. That's Those are the facts. That's the way they played out. These are going to be the consequences of their actions. So what are we going to do? We're going to follow through or we're going to just continue on and get nothing done. I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of addressing the problem. Moving forward, if someone got their feelings hurt, well, too, wham, wham, bad. I don't care. It was a bad design to begin with. I pointed out the flaws. You didn't want to address them. Here we are. We're going to shut down the job. It's going to cost you fifteen dollars to $20,000 a day until I get the guys back to work. So how do you want to address this problem? And that's when everyone, when you start talking money, that's when people really get excited Speaking of money, I was supposed to have a guest today, and that's what I said last week, and I'm not going to mention her name, but if you are going to get guests on your show, I gave them until the 25th of October to make the payment. That's a week before the show, and we can get all the prep work done. I can call the guest and get a feel for them, see what areas they really want to talk about, which ones they want to address which ones they're not interested in. And uh, they bailed. That really pissed me off. And it should upset anybody. You know, that was in construction. That was a letter of intent when they agreed to the fee. And they did. And then all of a sudden, this was a personal injury lawyer. And I... I'm dealing with two people and they say, oh, it's not in our budget. What do you mean it's not in your budget? If I read this gal's resume, it's more than in your budget. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than what you charge per hour for clients. And you waffle? Well, I covered that in my management book of accountability. Where's the accountability in that? You agreed to be on the show, you agreed to the fee that had been negotiated, and then all of a sudden you come up with some lame-ass excuse through your cohorts, and there was two, not one, but there's two, so obviously these two people were getting paid, and you can't budget it, so if you're going to get a guest, (coughs) I guess nowadays you just got to say, you got to pay today, and I've been on plenty of shows and we've come to terms on agreements and I know what these run. 
the cheapest one out there is like 495 and the highest I paid was 1500. I don't charge near that because I've heard all the excuses about, well, we have this, that, and that. I know what it takes to put a show together. I know how much time I'm going to put into it. And, uh, it's not $500 worth. And if you're paying $500 to be on some of these shows, then you need to really look at if that's paying off for you or not. And I charge two fifty. That's pretty damn reasonable at today's market. I'll tell you that right now, because I've done it. And I know the one that I spent 1500 on, they were national supposed to be a nationally broadcast thing. Hell, I went and looked them up the other day. They're gone. It's like, well, isn't that something? But they sure did have a have one of those presentations that uh, would get you all excited because I think it was, uh, I forgot his first name, but the last name was Llewellyn, and that's whose name they were writing off of. Well, I'd heard of that guy. Okay, this ought to be a good show. I don't regret doing it. And then I've been on a show where, they sent me all the stats on how many listeners there were, like 80,000 or something per episode. And that was $500. And uh, that was kind of a bust. So it's, you know, you do have to be careful who you're dealing with. And, you know, I try and do all the research I can, which if you wanted to be a guest on this show, i I'll tell you how many uh, views I've seen, how many people uh, watched the show. The last one I did, I just checked it this morning, was 60 views. And the one before that was like, uh, I think, 175, which isn't bad, but we need it up to one to 2,000. Then that makes it all worthwhile. Okay, so just be, be careful with your money. Because believe me, I, I was with one outfit and I'll, I'll, I actually got a refund on some of it because I was really pissed off. It was just, they wanted more and more and more. And I was like, this is not paying off. That, that was a bad investment. I'm not going to mention the show, but good salesman. But when it came down to it, I'm not going to bullshit. I'm not going to be one of these used car salesmen that goes on and on and no disrespect to them. That's just the same. Or some flim flam salesman that talks real fast and you feel like you're being pressured in a hard sale. I don't do hard sale. What you get right now is me. I'm not going to talk fast. I'm not going to make you feel like the world's going to end if you don't do this and so on and so forth. Okay. On another note, I will do my comedic debut this evening at the Sterling Hotel in Dallas. And the set is based off of my book, Guinea Pigs of the 70s and 80s. That should be a lot of fun. I've been rehearsing it with my colleague, Fletcher Reddy, who's the one that kind of suggested you should do this. I don't know why, but he felt I have has I have what it takes. So 
not going to cost me anything. So why not? I'm going to wear my Pope outfit, which will definitely fit the uh, subject matter I'm going to go over. It's about seven minutes long, so I'm looking forward to that. And last night, it was Friday night. Don't know if I'm going to be there next Friday, and I'll get into that in a minute. But uh, it was the regular crowd, Jerry, Patty. God, she's irritating. Doug, Fletcher, Wes, myself, and our server, Tabitha. This woman, Patty, you know, you got to love her to death. But she's that grandma that wants to put lipstick all over the baby's face. And you walk in this back room, which it's a it's really nice. It's their designated smoking area. It's got its own fireplace. And she's that grandma that you see that jumps up and comes running up and wants to kiss all the babies and this, that, and the other. She wants to give everybody a hug. And I just said, would you just go away? Go away. Just go, go away. I just cleaned my jackets. No. It's fine, but that does not dissuade her at all. If, if you don't get a hug, then she's going to badger all, badger you all night. And she was all excited because I chose to sit next to her. So she thought she was very prominent that night. And I said, let's not get carried away here. This is the best seat at the table, and I can watch the World Series game. And she stuck her tongue out at me like, well, and it's like, yeah, go away. Because I got another story about what happens with the when baseball is on but it was a good time and it was a hell of a game and i'll get into that in a little bit so it was fun and i didn't i haven't mentioned this show in a couple of weeks the shaggy buffalo for all you gals that really like some neat clothing apparel and a lot of it is I would say Western motif at times, Arizona, New Mexico. Think about that. And her show lasts about an hour and a half to two hours sometimes and a lot of participation. She has an excellent following and it's Stacy Legrand who runs this. So if you gals are looking for gifts that aren't sitting off of the ports of California. She buys local. She sells local. She ships local. So if you buy it, you're going to have it probably three to five days, depending on where you're, which city or state that you're living in. But uh, very energetic, loves what she does. You can see that. And I need to see if we can't do a little deal together since she finally read. I don't mean that in a bad way, but uh, she finished the book I wrote, Love's True Second Chance. And just loved it. Well, folks, believe me, I appreciate everyone who buys my books. It's great. But the thing that really drives those sales is I can market so much. But if you start posting reviews on Amazon or Goodreads and even Barnes and Noble, that drives a book up the sales bracket. It gets more exposure. So I ask kindly, 
please post a review. And if you don't know how to post one, it's not that hard. I can show you how to do it. You go to Amazon, you find my author site, you see the book that you read because a lot of people aren't buying these off of Amazon. I've got the printed copies. So they buy them direct. But if you've bought anything from Amazon, you can post a review. So just type up a paragraph or two. You copy it. You go to the site. You paste it. You hit enter. That's it. You're done. Believe me, I know how easy it is because at one time I had over 850 reviews on Amazon until somebody got a heart on and I hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, how sad. And I got that wonderful message from Amazon that I had violated their guidelines and I'm reading all their guidelines going, which one did I violate? I haven't violated any of them. <clears throat> well, over a year ago, you used to be able to call into the review department. Well, now they have figured out a way that, uh, oh, well, there's nobody in that department. My ass. Because I was like the 75th, either 7,500 or 7,800, somewhere in there of reviewers. So, you know, that was pretty damn good. I broke 10,000. That means a lot of people like the reviews I posted, but I, I hurt somebody's sensibilities and they got their panties in a wad. It's like, we'll just take a break, get over it, get over it. So really it's not that hard to do. Herbalize progress. For those of you who follow me on Facebook, you know, I post a shake a day, Joel Osteen, two to two and a half miles in a protein bar. Well, I am happy to report that since I started this, I'm down at least 25 to 30 pounds. And I started at 256. And I started this because I looked down one day and I couldn't see my toes. Now, some of you girls that are built like Dolly Parton will never see your toes. I understand that because I was married to a girl like that. It was even worse when she got pregnant because, oh my Lord, her breasts were like Borden tankers. They were so full. It was like, yeah, she could shoot it across the room. Yeah, that was a sight to see too. No wonder she didn't drown our kids back then. But uh, it works. And I do the cookies and cream because I like that flavor. And Janet Cardinal, who came in last night, I gave her a sample kit because she got the French vanilla and really didn't like it. And I'll be honest, I've talked to other people and that's just not one of their favorite flavors. But there's 13 others. And it's costing me about $3 a day to get back in shape and you know we look in the mirror i'm not taking my shirt off to look in the mirror um we might not notice the results i mean i can look at the before and after pictures it's like well okay but i've really got to look but when your friends start making the comments can you see your toes it's like why because your shirts are fitting what do you mean my shirts are fitting? Well, your buttons aren't fighting for their life anymore. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. I like that. 
<clears throat> but when others start noticing, that's motivation that, hey, it's working. I might not see it, and I can feel it in my, in my uh, pants. In fact, let me see something. I got one more loop on my belt before I'm going to have to punch some more holes in it. And beforehand, I had like at least three notches to go. And the sweatpants I wear when I walk today, when I first started, I don't have to worry about them coming down. There's no way. They were, they were stuck. In fact, I'd get a line on my belly where the drawstring was. That ain't the case anymore because now I'm having to hitch them up about every, at least twice when I do a lap around the hotel that I live in. Well, that's telling me, okay, it's working. So Herbalife really is good stuff. And if you're interested, if you want to start your own, and it's not a diet, let me get that straight right now. This is not a damn diet. It is a change of life. I know people are going to go, well, you smoke. Yes, I'm working on that too. I'm not near where I was about a pack a day versus two. So I call that progress. But that website is Jeff Dawson, period, go herbalife, period, well, dot com slash en dash us. That's my personal website. You go on there, you sign up, I'll approve it. Then you can shop for whatever you want. Do you have questions? You can contact me at 817 938 8461. All that information is on the site because it's worked through email so and you can tell me what your goals are and i can help you with that i don't have the answers i know who to get them from but uh yeah for three dollars a day getting my health back which due to some upcoming medical procedures i definitely need to get my health back life is good so and if they've also got products if you need to put on weight If you want more muscle mass, if you want to get toned, if you want energy, they've got three products just for energy. They got the total control, they've got the teas, and then they have a product called Liftoff, which that doubles the content of caffeine. And these are these are caffeine based. So if you have a heart issue, you definitely want to talk to your doctor before you would start that. Because I have one. And I can't take those products because of the caffeine. I can't drink leaded coffee anymore. So through the last 10 years, I've learned to appreciate decaf. And people go, why drink it? And I said, because I like the flavor. Well, you don't, I don't need a hit. I never did get a hit from fully leaded coffee. What I got a hit from was just the flavor. I like the taste of coffee. And I, my preference is community. I really like Communities Decaf. I've tried Folgers, Maxwell House. I don't know. It's just kind of a harsh, bitter 
aftertaste. I don't get that with community. Maybe it's that chicory they put in there. <clears throat> okay. These are perfect for Halloween. These are the book reviews. Terror at the Sterling, Final Delivery and Occupation. Now, like I said, these are reviews from other readers. Terror at the Sterling. Be careful what job you take. It might be one you live to regret. The main character is made to throw these prostitutes out just to find out they may not all be what they seem to be. Strange things happen in this book of horror. Jesse Reister. That was her review. And yeah, it's a short story. It's about 8,000 words. And it's based off of two events that actually happened at the hotel. A murder, an unsolved murder in the 70s. And then about six, seven years ago, a guy used to work here before he passed, Lee Schindelman, <coughs> excuse me, cornered me in the parking garage and said, hey, man, I got to tell you what happened. <clears throat> they were evicting these two guys. They went into the room and the room was trashed. Just, you know, take a 10 pound sledgehammer and they broke everything. Everything's destroyed. Well, they went downstairs. They found the guys, say, five minutes elapsed. They went back to the room, and they opened the door, and it was in as pristine condition as rooms can be here. So I took that story and the unsolved murder and came up with a really cool horror story. Final Delivery, an interesting and engaging horror story about a man on the wrong side of history Obsessed with the evils of the past. It's clear Mr. Dawson has done his research. Written in the first person, it transports the reader into the poisoned mind of the protagonist. The ending has a nice twist, effectively handled. Duncan Ralston. Now, this is about a German engineer, Gunther Brown, whose grandfather had told him that the Germans should have captured Moscow in 1941. And he's left him this scrapbook and all these pictures because he served in the Wehrmacht and was very bitter when Germany was defeated. But he has convinced his grandson of the grandeur, of the glory. Well, think of this as a Twilight Zone episode because as a, he's the brakeman on this train that runs from... Poland, uh, Russia, and it passes Tula, which is where the winter uh, attack was just blown up. Operation Typhoon was just blown up by the Russians. That was a fun one to write. Okay. All these are on Amazon. Occupation. Jeff Dawson knew where he was going when he embarked upon the telling of this tale, and he strode into the past so successfully that I generally feel as though I spent time in that frightful place and time. When the Germans invade Poland during World War II, they get a lot more than they bargained for because Nikolai Romanov and Kirill Borarski lead two vampire clans who have grown used to a steady supply of blood. Their previous standing agreement with the locals was that they would kill only the weak and infirm while leaving the rest of the human population to their lives in an uneasy peace. But as the Nazis begin stripping the local peasants away and sending them to death camps by rail, 
the vampires are forced to begin feeding the old-fashioned way by force. As the two clans forage further and further into the countryside for fresh kills, it soon becomes obvious that the Germans must go. The only question is, can the two clans refrain from killing each other long enough to drive Hitler's troops from their hunting grounds? You'll be surprised and thrilled as the action unfolds. Occupation doesn't try to smooth out or gloss over the renowned violence of vampires. It instead harkens back to the brutal and largely emotionless existence that those accursed creatures were always believed to live. In other words, this book is about Nazis versus vampires, about evil versus evil, and the author doesn't shuffle gently around the blood and gore their clash creates. Don't miss this visit to a dark time in history. Tim Greeton. And I, Tim Greeton was a really neat guy that I met like eight or nine years ago. And we had similar interests. He had a blog. I did interviews with him. He did interviews with me. But I think he got hacked or something really bad happened. He always referred to himself as the other writer in Maine because Stephen King lives in that same state. <clears throat> and then he just disappeared. But I actually called him a couple of times because I was having trouble formatting books, getting the page numbers to work out, right? And I'm still struggling with that. But what a great guy. I mean, I, I really miss talking with him and his camaraderie. I've got his number in one of my phones somewhere. It'd be nice to reconnect. But that was a very nice review. It wasn't prompted. And I've said this in other episodes. This is the book cover. And it's been banned by Amazon, Smashwords, and Facebook Deutsche because of the swastika. Well, you know, why don't you ban Rise and Fall of the Third Right? Because it's got the swastika on it. This is a vampire biting into it. And there's blood pouring down. Okay. Well, that's what the book's about. And Tim's review was spot on this is about evil versus evil and there are three books in the series right now occupation sets the stage the second one is sabotage this takes us up to 1942 let's see that's 39 this takes us up to 41 and of course the germans are just running rampant and the third one right now is the cauldron and if you notice that picture that is stalingrad don't believe me google pictures of stalingrad and you'll see this picture the the planes there the uh fountain with the kids around it that's actually from a historical picture but those are perfect for halloween because a lot of Readers have said it just scares the hell out of, you know, not everyone liked it. I'm not going to lie. That goes back to what I said earlier, that accountability. Hey, if somebody doesn't like what I wrote, that doesn't bother me. Especially if they have a critically good review on what they didn't like. Because that helps me be a better writer. In fact, I got a review on that book probably eight years ago when it was one star. Well, most authors today just crumple and 
whimper and whine. Oh, you've seen it on Facebook. Oh, they didn't like it. Oh, wham, wham, wham. Oh, shut the hell up. Good God, get over yourself. You put a story out there. It was poorly written. It was poorly edited. It was poorly formatted. And I've read plenty of those. If you're going to get your feelings hurt, find a different job, find a different career, do something else, because that's the only way we get better. So this guy did a one-star review, and it was very detailed. And I didn't get my panties in a wad, and I didn't go need a comfort dog or my cafe latte BS whipped cream crap. No. I read his review. And then I read two more reviews, and they were three stars, but they had a common thread, and I found it. And I went back to that book and gave it an enema, of which I'm going to get one of those this week, and we'll discuss that later. Um, It made me a better writer. He had really good points on the deficiencies of the story. And it had been through two editors already. So that told me I had the wrong editors. And I mean, I, if there's an editor out there that's good, drop me a line because I'm looking for one. I got sideways over politics with my last one and she couldn't get over it. And she wasn't doing a good job. The cauldron was, it was horrible. I've never had to, done so many rewrites before and she'd already done like I think seven books up to that point but this was not her best work and she wouldn't admit it wasn't her best work and that really really upset me because she wasn't being accountable a reviewer held me accountable I listened I took action I made it a much better and tighter story but she didn't want to be accountable. And yes, she's a liberal and yes, she hated Trump. And I said, what the hell does that have to do with what we're doing here? Politics has nothing to do with this story. Okay. She brought it in. So how do you think that went? It went sideways rapidly. She got fired. I hated to do it, but we weren't going to get through that impasse. It was impossible because I had found some other mistakes in books she had edited. And if I brought those up, oh, she really just like, well, it's like, just admit you screwed up. Why is it so hard for people to raise their hand and say, I made a mistake? And that is one of the biggest things I cover in my book. Cutting to the chase. Raise your hand. You made a mistake. Let's fix it and move on. No, that's not the culture today. Let's, let's, I, I don't know. Let, let's not address it. Let's just bypass it. Let's let somebody get hurt on a job because they didn't, you know, the mechanic didn't fix the equipment right. And you called him out and he got his feeling, you know, the, the list is long and painfully disturbing that uh, you're putting people's lives at, at, at stake. When I worked construction, I worked on all the highways in Dallas. I worked at the all the airports around Dallas. 
I know how dangerous the work is. You screwed up. By God, you were called out. We're not doing this again. It wasn't about your feelings. It was about the job. We need more of that. But uh, how are we going to get that back? Yeah, that seems to be the question. And, and that goes in with, I mean, listening to ESPN. I really like Dan Schulman. And anyone that knows me knows I don't like announcers. I don't like news anchors. <clears throat> 99%. But if I like a group, and I brought pointed this out in the last show, I'll give him credit. I like Dan Schulman. He's a really good announcer, but he's got to deal with Eduardo Perez and Jessica Mendoza. Oh, God, I tried to listen to their broadcast the other night, and about two minutes of her cackling and babbling, I turned that shit off. I'm not listening to it because they can say whatever they want to, and they're not held accountable when they're wrong. And they're wrong most of the times they open their mouth. It's just like watching the game last night. I, I know what I'm in for when it's Joe Buck and John Smoltz. And it's just, you know, why don't you just take your fingernails and scratch them down a chalkboard? Because that would be less painful than listening to Joe do math. The, the Braves got a insurance home run. So now the score is two to nothing Atlanta. And Joe goes. And the Braves get one run, and they had one run, and now they had two. It's like, why are you talking? Do you think your audience is so stupid they can't add one and one? Yeah, they really do think we're that stupid. And I know Schmoltz said nothing. The more he talks, the dumber he sounds. God, he was such a good pitcher for the Braves back in the 90s. But he's gotten ruined by Fox Corporation and whoever the producers are of these shows and what to say during a broadcast. How about saying nothing? How about calling the game? And that is what I loved about Pierzynski, Wainwright, and Amin with, I believe, TBS when they were calling the uh, pennant games. They called the game. They watched the game. They didn't care about all the BS stats that somebody was probably whispering in their ear. They stuck with what we were watching was the game. And speaking of games, how about this? With three minutes left, it's Michigan State 37 and Michigan 33. Now, can MSU hold? Don't know. Just have to glance every once in a while. Oh, yeah, I know what Smoltz says. They were playing in Houston. And the forecast tonight is clear and no rain. And I'm like, they're playing in a dome. At the time, I didn't know if the if it was if the roof was open or closed. I mean, and this is so ridiculous. When you look at what they're spending on these stadiums, especially in Texas. Now one the uh, Mariners have in the Seahawks, they open that a lot. 
but it's like a miracle if Jerry opens up AT&T, if the Rangers open up Globe Life, or if the Astros open up, hell, I don't know what, if it's called Reliant, they keep changing names so much, it's hard to keep up with. You spend all of this money to have a retractable dome and you never retract it. Well, then you should have just built a damn dome because of that $1 billion that the Rangers spent. Half of that is for the weight and the operation of the dome. So if you're not going to open it up, why bother wasting all that money? But it was open for uh, game one with Houston and the Braves. Astros and the Braves. It was open. But, you know, I, I look at all the money they spent, and it's like, how many times do you open it? Once a year, twice a year? What a waste. The contractor's happy because hopefully they made some good money off of that job. But uh, what a waste it was in Texas. And then when they do open the one in Texas, it's horrible. Because if the sun's out, it's dark in the stadium. And the cameras don't have filters. I I watched a couple of games when that thing was open at the beginning of the season. And it was horrible. The optics were horrible. looked like they were playing in a cave. You could barely see the umpire if they were wearing black. It was a sad state of affairs. Now, let's talk about the Rangers for a minute. No, let's not, because there's nothing to report. How about that? Why ruin this great World Series with anything from the Texas Rangers? And even uh, my associate, Ben Deitler, with the Ranger podcast on Facebook, he, he there, there's nothing to report. But what he did report was PETA's up in arms, like I give two shits about PETA. But they're upset over a phrase, the bullpen. Really? Well, it's it's detrimental to bulls. It's cruelty to cows. And they go into this article, it was on Muser, because uh, I've got net zero and I found this article and, uh, you know, cruelty to animals and all that. Well, I got to thinking, what is the, where did the term bullpen arise? Who coined it? Well, I just got to thinking, okay, logically, well, they just thought those guys that were going to become relievers were bulls. And, you know, go back to the Bugs Bunny cartoons where he's playing and he's, got all these big burly guys that are chewing on cigars and they got five o'clock shadows that somebody might've said, man, he's a bull. That's I was wrong. That's not where the term came from. Remember the movie bull Durham? Well, I got thinking about that and I looked it up. They call it the bullpen because Back in the day, back at the turn of the century, 
where the pitchers warmed up, there was a big sign, Bull Durham. Well, what was Bull Durham? It was a tobacco product. And that's where they came up with the name. The Bull Pen, because the guys were in a pen and they're underneath the Bull Durham sign. So someone just said, hey, they're in the Bull Pen. Has nothing to do with animals, you moronic idiots. It had to do with the tobacco advertisement at the turn of the century. But do you think they researched that? No. About as much as people research posts on Facebook that keep copying and pasting. No research whatsoever. None. Okay. That's where the name, where's Paul Harvey? And that's the rest of the story. Now, if you got any comments, if you want to be part of the show, the number is 888-627-6008. Or 323-744-4831. Feel free to call in. The producer will put a little message up and we'll take your call. And if you piss me off, we'll hang up on you. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd listen to all opinions. Now, this World Series has been exciting. These two teams are evenly matched. And when I was at dinner last night, I was I had anal concentration. I kind of listened to what the discussions were, but not really. I was focused on the game. I have no idea who's going to win this. I would like to see the Astros because I support the American League. But I look at the phrase pitching, and it is superior. Now, with with Charlie Morton being out. I mean, what a freak accident in the first game. A ground ball breaks his fibula. That's going to hurt tomorrow. Or we'll see. You don't lose a frontline starter and just call someone up to take his place. There's a reason he was a frontline starter. So if the Astros win tonight, which is 50-50, man, I don't know who Atlanta will put on the mound tomorrow. But I cannot wait, even though I have to, I'm doing, I don't have to. I chose to do this little seven minute comedy routine tonight. I have to think about that and then I go back thinking about the ball game. But I'm really looking for, there's been such great defensive plays and you can feel someone's about to break the game open and it doesn't happen. It's, that's what, has made this such a great season and such a relief after enduring 162 games of futility with the Texas Rangers. But there's also something going on in baseball that I noticed the beginning of the season I'm not a fan of. When they opened up the new ballpark, Dallas Truck World or something like that was down the third base and the first base lines. And then I saw an ad on the backside of the mound. Are they not generating enough TV income? I don't want to see ads. And I've noticed it all through these games now. 
You got enough billboards all over the place. How many Geico ads do we need? I want to kill that damn Geico. And those folks from Progressive and the Adams family, I don't know why they're talking to them. Send them to Mama's Dungeon down in the basement and just lock them up. Really, you need to have all these advertisements? I don't think so. Imagine if they didn't have all those advertisements. Imagine what our insurance would cost. Auto, home, life, any of it. You get rid of these commercials. The same thing with the automakers. Well, what really pissed me off on these ads was when I saw DraftKings. Whoa! Step back a minute there. DraftKings? That's a gambling outfit. That's sports betting. And I'm the first to admit, and I've stood by this for decades, that Pete Rose doesn't need to be in the Hall of Fame because of gambling. Well, since Manfred's head is squarely in his ass and is only about the money, Pete Rose needs to go in the Hall of Fame. If you're going to let a betting organization advertise during professional sports, you just killed the argument for Pete Rose because now you're advocating it. So, yes, it's time for Pete to be allowed into the Hall of Fame because you were promoting the very business that almost ruined baseball in 1919. I guess Manfred doesn't know his history, but he's a liberal, so why would, why would he need to know his history? He's a liberal. And he proved that. Well, you know, he proved that when they sent the All-Star game from Atlanta, predominantly black community, to Denver, a predominantly white one. He's so full of it, it makes my ass hurt sometimes, which that's probably going to happen towards the end of the week, and I'll get to that later. <clears throat> but, uh, man, time for Pete to come in. If you're going to let professional bookmakers, organizations, advertise on professional sports, then you obviously don't care about sports betting and gambling and how it's going to affect the game. You just want the money you're charging them for that ad, which I wonder what it is. I didn't do a search on it. I probably will after the show, but I'll be real curious to see if their information is even available. But yeah, that pissed me off. DraftKings, argument's over. Let Pete in. You're promoting it now. He's still alive. Now, When this World Series is over, one would think we should be excited about the 2022 season. That's if we have one. If you haven't heard, this uh, collective bargaining agreement ends on December 2nd. And right now, from what I've read, they're not even close. And most of it has to do with the minor leagues. Well, those of us who have followed this, there was a huge realignment of the minor league teams last year. They got rid of over a third of these teams because the stadiums were run down, disrepair, you know, costs of remodeling, attendance. So they consolidated. 
Well, this is the big argument. They're still complaining about working conditions. They're still complaining about pay. So it's unusual to see the Players Association standing up for the minor leagues, which that's a good thing. But if I'm understanding right, the owners would like some of the top players to participate in helping to rehab. And they're not. They want the owners to pay for everything. Well, when are the players going to put some skin in the game? Albert Pujols. He can afford it. Uh, Just look at any of your top players and the amount they're making. Scherzer, Kershaw. Go through the list of the top 20 players or 30 players and what their salaries are. You can't give back to MLB and help in the remodeling. I'll be damned. Michigan State won it. Good for them. Um, and you know, and that, and I got to thinking, well, what about Mexico, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic? We see all these feel good stories from these countries and how these players struggled. They were poor, blah, blah, blah. They made it. And yet 10 years later, you see the same field. Well, why aren't these players that made it going back? in rebuilding these two. It doesn't take that much money. And no one can tell me it does because when my buddy, Chuck Petros, and I started the Dixie League in Kaufman, Texas, one of the uh, fathers, Paul Hoffmeyer, had the land and said, hey, we can build a ball field in my backyard. And we did. And it had bleachers, and it had fencing all the way around. He had a few sponsor signs up in the outfield. He had an electrical scoreboard in the outfield. And it, all of us helped build that field, and I'm guessing it was probably 20000 So if a community can build a stadium, a Little League stadium, in their backyard, I had one in my backyard. It wasn't as fancy as Paul's by any stretch, but it's where we started. You tell me why these major league players can't dig into their wallets and go down there and start building and fixing up the fields that these kids are playing on. Pablo Escobar did it in Colombia when he was selling cocaine. So I'm not an advocate of that. But uh, he did something with his money that was good for the community. Now, how he earned it, that's a whole different ballgame. But if a drug lord can do it, how come major league players can't do it? I don't want to hear the charities and all this crap. You can go down there and rebuild all those fields so those kids had something nice to play on. And why don't they? One field doesn't count. If a bunch of dads with limited resources can do it, then a major league player who's making $30 million a year and has been for 10 years, uh, he's got the funds to do it. 
So when are y'all going to pitch in? But, uh, yeah, there's a potential strike on the horizon. Now, for years I've heard this debate that baseball is boring on TV, and I've agreed with that. It is hard to watch on TV because even I, if I've got something, got an article to work on or want to write, I'll do that during the game. I'll be watching it because I'm listening to the sound. But here's one of the problems. I timed game two. Three minutes Three hours and 11 minutes was the duration of the game. You know how much of that was commercial breaks? 55 minutes. Now, the knee-jerk reaction is, well, if they got rid of 55 minutes, that put the game less than two and a half hours. Okay, that's true. However... There's got to be a break between innings. And depending how long a game goes, if the home team's behind, there's going to be a bottom of the ninth. There are 17 to 18 breaks in a game. Now, by the rule book, when a starting pitcher comes in, he gets eight warm-up pitches. That's it. In the succeeding innings, he gets six. Well. If you go by the rule book, a pitcher is supposed to deliver the ball every 20 seconds once he receives it. So if you've got six warm-up throws, that's one minute and 20 seconds. So it should be, you could cut 23 minutes out of a game. So a, a game could last or shouldn't last more than two hours and 32 seconds, 32 minutes or two hours and 48 minutes, but it shouldn't be more than three. Unless we go into extra innings, unless there's a lot of scoring going on, unless there's an injury and I don't even want to get into replay. That's I got my own opinion about that, but the rules are there. It's not that hard to enforce them. Oh, well, here we go with the commercials. And here we go, because since the network has already paid for the rights to broadcast, let's say, the Rangers, they know what they're going to pay the Rangers, so now they've got to go to the advertisers. Well, so instead of getting four commercials from Toyota in that three-minute break, because that's about what they're running, is three minutes, which is a minute and a half to two minutes too damn long. There's your problem with baseball. If you're sitting in the stadium, you got to wait for all the commercials to run, and that's where everyone's out there <coughs> lollygagging around half the time. They're waiting to get the cue that, okay, we can play ball again. Well, that goes back to salaries. You know, that, that's a whole different argument. That's a book that I've thought about writing of uh, the price of number one. 
and I really haven't done anything with it. But there's a problem. It's commercial breaks that make baseball long. It's not the game. The game isn't boring at all. It's waiting for the action to start. And I thought about timing a football game and said, I have neither the time nor the patience to do it. Because that means I have to listen to the broadcasters and I just don't have that much patience at all. So baseball could be managed. But there's so much money involved now. It's just ridiculous. And I just want to know when the owner is going to say enough is enough. And I don't know if they'll ever say that. As long as they can get corporations to underwrite players, they're good to go. Because I remember when Jerry Jones was trying to sign Emmett Smith, all of a sudden he got two new sponsors, Nike and American Express. And magically he came up with the money to pay Emmett. It's time to put a ceiling, a serious ceiling on these guys. Really, $30 million in 10 years, if less, I believe we'll see the first half a billion dollar contract to someone to be stupid enough to pay someone $50 million a year for 10 years and guarantee it. I mean, where, where are we at right now? 35, I think. No one's worth $35 million a year for playing a game. I don't care how much I love it. It's not worth it. They're, they're not worth it. That's all there is to it. And the argument of, well, ticket sales. Take the ticket sales today. I did this with the Cowboys a long time ago. So the Cowboys had eight home games, and we came up with a mean value of all the seats in Cowboys Stadium before AT&T was built. And I said, there's the gross income from if you if the Cowboys sell out every game, that's what their gross income is. That won't pay Troy Aikman for a year. And people just look at me like, huh? I said, so where do you think the money's coming from? It's coming from those cameras. So the argument of putting butts in the seats yeah, it's nice when you play to a full stadium, but uh, they're not counting on that to pay the bills. In fact, ESPN said it like two or three years ago, all these ridiculous college bowl games we have, they didn't care if they sold a ticket one because they didn't need the money. It was already paid for. Well, what does that tell you? You don't need, you got to, 60,000 capacity stadium, and you don't need to sell one seat because you've already made money before the kickoff. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. But that's where we're at, and that's what we're stuck with. Okay. I think that's enough on baseball. Yeah, damn. That was an hour's worth. So for those of you waiting for the politics and the top stories, they're coming. I apologize, but I am passionate about baseball to the point I was dating a girl, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago or something. And 
I thought about putting this in my routine, but it doesn't fit. But this is kind of true. She was getting frisky. And I was like, well, what the hell are you doing? Well, I'm horny. I said, well, that's a personal problem. Because we were in playoff baseball. She's like, well, you need to do something about this. And I said, no, you need to get me a beer and go cool off. Because this ain't going to happen. Do not interfere with playoff baseball. And she just stared at me. I said, okay, let me tell you what. For those of us that are 60 or over, I said, if Cheryl Teeks and Susan Anton were standing in front of the TV naked, do you know what I'd tell them? And she's like, what? I said, get the hell out of the way and get me a beer. I'll deal with you when the game's over. And she just stared at me. Well, to give you an idea of my mindset during the series, this was when the Red Sox and Yankees were playing. 2002, I think. I get a phone call. It's my youngest son, Sean. Well, the Ranger won't start. I'm like, what do I care? Well, Bill... And he called me Bill because at one time my hair was much fuller, a lot longer. And he and my oldest son, Justin, were watching the movie Kingpin. And there's a scene in there where Bill Bill Murray's wearing his polyester shirt and his plaid pants. And his hair's all messed up because he's got that bad toupee on. And they looked at each other and said, that looks just like dad. So they called up and said, Bill. And I was like, who the hell's Bill? And they said, it's you. You're on TV. And I was like, I'm going to kill both of you. Yeah. Loving children. They were in their early teens back then. So they just thought that was hilarious. And the name Bill stuck. So Sean calls me up, Bill, Ranger won't start. Oh, God. You know what's on TV, son? Uh, now, Bill, Bill, Bill. But don't, don't get all disturbed, fired up. All right. I get in my truck. I find the game on the radio. I drive to the school. He left the lights on. Battery's dead as a doornail. Fine. Get back in the truck. Got the game on. Go to Pet Boys. Go inside. Get a new battery. They got the game on TV. I'm watching the game. We get the battery. Get back in. Got it on the radio. Get back to the truck. Take the battery out. And I've changed out plenty of batteries. You know, probably four dozen through the years. Maybe five, but that's irrelevant. And I'm thinking baseball. I'm not thinking negative and positive. Put the battery in the case. Make sure it's secured. Lock it down. Get the cables. Put one on. Screw it down. That work. Put the other one on. That won't fit. Why the hell won't it fit? Got my hammer. Beat it on. And Sean's like, uh, Dad... Don't you think that shouldn't be so hard to get on? Gibber, shut the hell up. Just start the truck. And he did. Didn't think a thing about it. He drove the thing home. The next morning, Bill, the Ranger's dead. What do you mean the Ranger's dead? It's got a new battery in it. I, I don't know. I can't get it to start. Fine, fine. Take my truck. Just go. Just go. And I go out. It is dead as a doornail. 
Well, that don't make sense. So after about 30 minutes of screwing with it, I called up a buddy and said, hey, I'm having a tr- problem with my truck. And we went through all the machinations. And he said, hey, when you turn the key, do you hear the fuel filter in the tank? Because on the Ranger, the tank was right by the side. And it's like, yeah, I do remember hearing that always turning on. He goes, do you hear it? And I said, no. And then I'm starting to think, oh, shit. No, shit. No. And he goes, uh, are you sure you hooked it up right? Now, my friend is the one that I evicted from my property with my ex-wife. And that's another story. He and I get along. Her, not so much. Yep, I hooked it up backwards. I don't know why that thing even started, but it did. And it did about $1,200 of damage. So the point here is, I just talked about baseball for an hour, add on another 10 minutes. I'm very passionate about it. So if you know me and the World Series is on or the playoffs are on, don't don't call me. Because I learned I'm not answering the phone. Nothing good will come of it. And if you're my girlfriend, enjoy sitting there for about three and a half hours. Because if you get horny, you got to go in the room and take care of it yourself because I'm not interested. Okay. Alec Baldwin. What can you say? That there better be a criminal investigation is what you got to say. Why there were live rounds on a movie set is beyond the imagination. I guess when they did Private Ryan, they should have had live rounds for the artillery and the tanks. Or when they did Band of Brothers or any other war movie. But I don't think they did. This is a screwed up mess. And yeah, there's plenty of memes out there that uh, are mocking him. And then if he'd have taken, since he's so damn anti-gun, that if he'd taken a weapons class and safety, he'd have known better. Not really. Now you expect him to remember something. There's a lot of bad stuff on this. And I didn't realize at first, you know, he was just an actor. We'll come to find out he's one of the producers of this movie. So that kind of makes him responsible. And I was surprised to find out that he's not there that he's off visiting family, I think, in New England or something. I wouldn't have let any of those people leave. You're not leaving town until this investigation is done, especially as a producer. Uh Uh-uh. You're not going anywhere. Y'all are staying in town. If you have to be here three months or six months, it doesn't matter until we're done with our investigation. But... You know, is it kind of a issue of karma for what he said about that officer that shot that kid and he had to throw his two cents in? Well, Alec, you now know what it feels like to kill somebody in real life with real blood. And you just made a father wifeless and children motherless. 
and you're going to have to live with that the rest of your life. There's no dodging this. You can't blame Trump for your stupidity on this. And all the people that were responsible for the firearms on that set, you're all's asses in a sling too. What did I read? That the ammunition was unsecured? What do you mean unsecured? My dad was an explosives expert and the explosives were always secured before, during, and after a blast. So there is no, you can apologize all you want to. Let's see who's going to be held accountable It will be interesting to see how this investigation plays out. Is Hollywood going to be able to infect the police department or are they going to be able to put up their hands and say, back off? You don't have the money to buy us off. We will see. And speaking of court cases and a name that Most of you have probably forgotten. Remember Kenosha, Wisconsin? And Kyle Rittenhouse? Now, some of you are scratching your heads. This is the teenager that was from, was it, Illinois? And they went up there because there was going to be a, quote, peaceful BLM protest. And they knew that the town didn't have a police force to handle it. So this militia went up there to protect property so they didn't burn that town down. <clears throat> like they did so many last summer. And fall. And yet, those on the left still say, well, 92% of them were peaceful. Well, 8% of them did over $2 billion in damage, cost dozens of lives, and put hundreds in the hospital. Yeah, that was real peaceful, you dumbasses. Kyle Rittenhouse was at that used car dealership and was attacked by one of the peaceful protesters, and he shot and killed the guy. And then the mob went nuts and started following him and tried to attack him. And he shot another guy and killed him. And then we saw the videos later that one of the protesters was also packing, but he never got a chance to pull his weapon. And Rittenhouse surrendered himself to authorities. His trial starts Monday. This will be really interesting. And what little news I've watched, I've seen... Nothing mentioned of this. Why? This should be a really big landmark case, just like Chauvin was. Are we going to see that? Doesn't look like there's going to be a media circus on this one. I wonder why. Interesting. Okay, supply chain. I was going to get into this last episode, but I just glanced over it, forgot. 
when I went through my notes, it's like, oh shit, I didn't cover that, which was probably a good thing because I had a chance to do some more research. <clears throat> and those of you that know me, <clears throat> I research topics as best I can with the best information that is out there. And that ain't Apple News and it ain't Fox and it's no MSNBC or CNN or I look for the odd sources that nobody talks about. Just like when Biden had that executive order and shut down the Keystone pipeline and everyone started throwing out outrageous numbers and how many jobs were lost. And I went to the petroleum engineering uh, uh, journal, which is in the business. It's kind of like concrete construction and ENR. They're non-political, and it said they lost twelve thousand jobs. And I got in arguments with people over that. I said it's right there. Look at this publication. It says this is the trade journal of the industry. They said this is how many jobs we lost. I mean, some people were saying 152. I mean, the, the numbers were just outrageous, but I did the research and found it up. So we've all seen Ron DeSantis on TV. He still hasn't said anything else about Surfside, nor has the mayor, nor has Wasserman, all those politicians that descended on Surfside and said, we're going to get answers and we're going to get them a meeting. Still don't have any answers on why the Surfside condos collapsed. Still speculation. And I discussed that two weeks ago. So you can go back to the archives. That's where the subscription comes in. I've been doing this for over a year. You know, $2.99, $5.99, For two hours of good content, that is a small price to pay once a month. It's cheaper than a Playboy subscription, or at least when you could get subscriptions to Playboy or Sports Illustrated. And you get good information, not a bunch of bullshit BS that nobody cares about. Well, Ron DeSantis and the media, damn it, hang on. More roaches in this hotel, you can shake a stick out. Um... Have the ships come to us. We're open. We're not busy. And I heard a lot of people say the same thing. They just parroted. Wait a minute. On on the knee-jerkpedia side, that will solve all the problems. On the logical side, it doesn't solve a damn thing. You know why? Because it's got to go to the Panama Canal. And if you listen to the news, well, the Panama Canal is open for business. Stop right there. Yes, they are. But like any other piece of infrastructure, they have a capacity that they can handle. And this was really interesting because this came from, uh, I think the publication was called Quartz, Q-U-A-R-T-Z. None of the mainstream had this one. That goes for Fox 2.
they charge to go through there. Well, Panama has been having a drought for the last two or three years. And I didn't know this, that they use fresh water in the docks. And then I thought about it. Well, that does make sense because of all the mechanical parts that are used to raise the water and lower the water and all the pumps, you sure the hell don't want salt water running through those. I'm replacing those on a monthly basis, and that's got to be extremely expensive. So they've been in a drought, and they have raised their rates. And this was really interesting. Let's see. For the new rates, if your ship is 124 to 200 feet long, $2,500. 200 to 300, 5,000. Over 300, 10,000. Now they have reservation slots. They got six for largest ships, 13 for super eights. 13 for Supers and 8 for Neo Panamax ships. They have a waiting list too, and the rates went up. So if you're a shipper from Japan, Taiwan, China, Russia, Indonesia, the Philippines, Australia, if you're shipping stuff to the United States, Okay, how many nautical miles is it? Well, so that price is built in. When they tell a shipping company that, okay, this is what we're charging you for that to haul this freight. And I'm sure they've got a price per container and all that. So they've got fixed costs and they know how long the cruise should be on the ship. They know how much fuel will be used. They know how much food to put on that ship to go from, say, uh, Indonesia to Long Beach, San Diego, whichever port, L.A. What they didn't figure in is the cost of going through the Panama Canal, the extra fuel to go through the canal, through the Gulf, sweep around to get to Florida, or even going into Houston. So they're going to have more more food uh, charges, more crew time, more fuel, and then the fee of going through the canal. That is not in. Who's going to pick up that cost? The company they're shipping for? Yeah, they've already got a contract on what they're charging them. You see them renegotiating? I don't. Hey, you said you would charge me X amount. Yeah, but you know now my crew is stuck on the ship, and it's going to be too much we can offload. So who absorbs that cost? And there's only six freighter companies in the world. Six, six or ten. There aren't that many. So it's not that easy to just say, well, let's go through the Panama Canal. 
there's a whole lot of other pieces that go into it. And why don't we have updated ports? Because this article that I read was talking about how easy it is for China and Korea to handle this much volume. Well, one, they don't have the pay scale we do. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't have the unions that we do. And when Joe Biden said they're going to be open 24 hours a day, uh, did you just redo a CBA with the longshoremen? I don't think so. You forcing them to work beyond the agreement of uh, their terms? Because that hasn't changed. They're not going to work just because you said so, unless you compensate them, because you're pro-union, Joe, and now you're telling the union what to do without additional compensation and benefits. How's that working out? Biden's a clown. But what started this? I mean, let's go back to March. And remember the tanker that got hung up in the Suez Canal and everybody started posting memes and everybody started making fun of it. And all the economists was like the supply chain just went to hell over one tanker. Really? One tanker, not tanker, excuse me, one cargo ship has just screwed up the supply chain of the world. Did nobody notice the problems that were starting to happen on the West Coast? Or did, was it like Lucky Charms and it just magically appeared? No, all their focus was on one cargo ship and not the ones that were starting to back up on the West Coast and even in New Orleans. And then all of a sudden, just like when the COVID virus exploded in New York, uh, you know, it was like a bomb that went off back in April. Now all the media is excited about this. So you're telling me this wasn't going on while that freighter was hung up. Of course it was, but the media didn't have a clue. But why weren't our ports updated? Well, let's go back to 2018. It amazes me how quickly people forget stuff. You remember when Trump's administration really got sideways with Pelosi and her cronies? They were talking an infrastructure bill. And Pelosi wanted this, that, and the other. And Trump said, you're not getting any of that shit. It's not pertinent to this bill. And she got her panties in a wad, got her prune face, tried to get her prune face up in front of Donald's. And if you recall, they never spoke again. And they were supposed to be talking about an infrastructure bill. So for two years, we didn't have one. Now, uh, being in construction, I understand 
that just because legislation is passed doesn't mean action is going to be swift and immediate because you get the bill passed, you got the money. Now, what are we going to do with the money? Well, you got to hire engineers. You got to hire architects. They got to get with the port facilities to figure out, okay, what do what can we and do we need to revamp to streamline your operation? You've got to, and then you got to deal with the unions and you got to put it out for bid. And that's a long process because you got to have the plan. So even if they'd passed the bill, you probably wouldn't have seen any of these projects come up for bid until at the earliest fourth quarter of 19, if not first quarter of 2020. And then they start work because, well, you bid on it and you better be ready to wait about two months before it's awarded because they've got to go through the bid and make sure everything's in line, get with the contractor and award the job. But even once the job is awarded, the contractor has X amount of days to start work and mobilize. And that's usually 10. So we wouldn't have seen anything happening on the ports until, say, early summer of 2020. But throw COVID into the mix, and would they have even been able to start? Well, that answer is probably no. Because I actually saw some of the protocols that were being put because I was wrapping up an Olive Garden Terrell. And it was tough. It was tough to pass through. Hell, my son-in-law, he was working on a rig in Louisiana, and they actually had highway patrolmen stopping people coming from Louisiana into Texas, making sure they weren't infected. So, the chances of our ports being upgraded were thin to none. The work would be going on, but it wouldn't be completed. That's just the way it is, especially if you wanted to build a new port. These things are very intensive they're very intricate and detailed and you just don't slap one together and call it a day i mean you got to build coffer dams you got to drive piles it's it's very very involved work and it doesn't happen overnight but what started all this well let's look at covid itself we saw all the numbers on the online companies, especially Amazon, and how their <coughs> profits skyrocketed. Because you can now sit at your computer, sit on your phone. Some people should sit on their phones the way they use them, then they might have a life. But you can go and just hit click, 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 click. I can buy 10 items in 10 seconds. Someone's got to fill that order. And if it's not in the warehouse and it's not made in America, it's going to come from overseas. So let's say you've got 150 million people that all, all at once decide to buy these same 10 items. And they're not in stock in the U.S. they got to come from overseas. 
that creates a backlog. In this talk of, well, you aren't going to have stuff for Thanksgiving. What? Are we not raising turkeys in the United States anymore? Is that what you're saying? That we don't grow cranberries here? We don't grow potatoes, sweet potatoes? That all the food that we get isn't coming from the United States? I sure the hell hope I'm wrong. Or maybe they're talking about, well, you won't have those decorations for Thanksgiving. We'll take out the old ones and dust them off. And then the talk about Christmas. You know, like when Fauci said, well, I don't know if we will cancel Christmas. You ain't canceling shit, Jack. Christmas will come whether there's toys and goodies in the stores or not. You do realize that is what Christmas is all about. You aren't canceling the birth of our Savior. Decorations won't cancel the birth of our Savior. Lights won't cancel the birth of our Savior. Do I need to go on? We will have Christmas regardless of what the government says. Period. What I'm more worried about is the day-to-day goods that people need to survive. (sighs) Food, staples. That's what I'm worried about. Okay, so we can't sell new cars because we don't have the chips. Well, Texas Instruments, Raytheon, it's time to get off your dead ass and ramp up. And start producing it in America. And didn't Joe say that was going to happen? Yeah, that ain't going to happen under Joe Biden. And if you think so, you just got your head in the sand like an ostrich. He has no intention of screwing with China's supply to the United States. If anything, he's going to try and accelerate it. Trump exposed it. COVID exposed it. H1N1 exposed it under Obama. We need to make all this stuff in the United States. We did it during World War II. We did it in the 50s. We did it in the 60s. We did it in the 70s. Yeah, the 70s, not so much because thanks to Jim Akata. And even under Gerald Ford, when we had our oil crisis and all of a sudden those Jap imports started showing up. I remember my sister, my dad bought her a B210, a Datsun B210. I said, are you kidding me, dad? You bought a Jap car? Hell, we fought them 25 years ago. Okay. But they were fuel efficient and they were cheap and they were reliable. And that was something that Detroit had gotten away from. Cheap, affordable, and reliable. And Detroit paid the price badly. I mean, to this day, you can drive up there and see all the abandoned plants. It's a pretty sad chapter in American history, but it is what it is. So what organization in the United States is capable of sorting out a problem? They specialize in it. It's the military. 
are they prioritizing these freighters? Or are they just taking them as they showed up? Well, if you've watched the third episode of Atlas Shrugs, it's kind of what uh, Reardon says is, what could be more fair than filling the orders as they come in? And he puts the National Science Institute at the very bottom, the State Science Institute at the bottom of the pile. That's the only people that can sort this out that won't be held to union rules. And we've got a Corps of Engineers. We've got CBs. We've got military that specialize in logistics. If anyone can sort this out and not be tied down by the unions, it's the military. Biden's people haven't thought that far. They don't think. I don't know what the hell they do other than take up space and are trying to fleece this country of money. We just thought Obama was bad. This is horrible. This is beyond the word incompetence. And all that crap of him talking about our allies respect us now. Yeah, ask what Macron thinks about him when he found out about the submarine deal. God. This is such, I don't understand how anyone can support this administration. I don't understand how anyone can support either one of these parties. It's insane. And and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So that's where we're at. I mean, and fuel prices are going up. You wait till diesel hits $4 a gallon. You think we're short truckers now? You ain't seen shit, Jack. Remember when we went through this under Bush? I do. I was working for Micah. And, man, that got scary because we we bid jobs. We know what our overhead is. And now you're tripling our fuel costs from what we bid. How do we recoup that? State's not going to pay us any more money. How much do you throw in to cover rising fuel prices? Independents will park their rigs. That's what they did last time. It got to $4. They just said, we can't afford it. They'd already had agreements on shipping shipping rates on loads. They couldn't honor them. They said, I can't ship it. They're independents. Now, you wait till it hits $4 a gallon. This, You know, if you watched any of your liberal associates this last summer when prices started going up well they all jumped on the bandwagon they always go up they always go up during summer and summer traffic well have you seen them post lately on why they're still going up no you haven't why is that because they won't admit they have screwed the pooch royally it's appalling but find a liberal that will say they made a mistake and i posed that question i don't know a couple of weeks back and of course someone threw out the guy the black guy that's on fox now terrell i forgot his first name but okay what about your friends that aren't public figures 
I know a whole lot that don't see a problem with this because it's not affecting them yet. Just like Seattle and their rising crime rate in Minneapolis and Dallas and Detroit and New York and L.A. and Oakland. It's not affecting their neighborhoods and they won't pull their heads out until it actually affects them personally, which I don't wish that on anybody. But, you know, that's what it's going to take to get their attention. And then they might say something's wrong, you think? This is what you wanted. Anarchy. Are you happy with that? Well, the police should have. I'm sorry you cut the police by 50%, so we don't have enough officers to respond to your call. We'll put you on. We might be there in an hour. But I'm being robbed. I'm sorry, sir. We'll send out one of our community policing officers, and maybe they can talk some sense into those people just after they get shot. Yeah, that's all working out real well, isn't it? Not worth a damn. So there's a lot more to just saying we're open for business. There's a whole lot of costs that go in going through the Panama Canal. So unless someone's ready to belly up to the table and pay more money for shipping costs, those freighters are going to sit off of the coast until they can be unloaded. Oh. I feel a little better. Oklahoma State. Ranked number eight. Is that right? Yeah. Went up to Ames, Iowa. Those who watch my Facebook saw my comment. Ames has been a graveyard for Big 12 contenders. OU has felt their wrath. OSU felt it again 10 years later. I don't know what Mike Gundy was thinking. Let's see if he can redeem himself today against Kansas. But he can't take them for granted because OU had their hands full with Kansas until the fourth quarter. But uh, I, I just shook my head watching that game going, so the only offensive play we have is the bomb? That was pretty much it in the first half, and it's like OSU will lose this game. Of course, my OSU stalwarts were like, no, they won't. No, they won't. I said, yeah, they will. They got no momentum. They're going to go into the second half. They're going to have no momentum. You're playing in a hostile environment. Those That team has momentum, and you're going to regret you weren't prepared. And now they're ranked number 15. I wasn't surprised. Disappointed, but I wasn't surprised. Okay, blind faith. I do not have blind faith, especially when it comes to politics. Because if you have blind faith, then you can't see. You only see what you want to see. You believe what you want to believe, and you hear what you want to hear. 
all of this talk of the Republicans taking the House back in, in the Senate in 2022 doesn't mean a damn thing. Remember, Trump had them both his first two years, but he held them accountable. Remember I mentioned that at the beginning of this, accountability? I'm really big on that. My management book is big on accountability because it's not that hard to do. And they didn't like that. And Trump ran as an independent until the RNC called him in and said, we can't have another Mickey Mouse incident. Ross Perot Jr., when he ran against Bush Sr. and uh, Dole. That's why he agreed to run on the Republican ticket, but not on their platform, and he didn't. This thing is completely messed up. So the so let's say the Republicans get the House and the Senate. What are they going to do? Nothing. And I've heard all the claims, all the investigations, and all these people that are going to go to jail. Yeah, I heard that when Trump was in office. I heard it when Bush was in office. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to have all these grand hearings. Everyone's going to make these grand statements. Everyone's going to get their name in the headlines. And that's it. And no, no one will be held accountable. I'm sorry, but uh, we can't straighten this country out under our current form of government. It's, it's sad but true. And I've been fighting against this. Hell, I should run. But there's a real problem with that because I would suspend the Constitution. And you really don't want that to happen. But you want to get this country back on track. That's damn near where we're at. Not civil war. Because that will just tear the country apart. And then we'll spend 15, 10 to 15 years rebuilding it. That will be counterproductive. You get in office. You get sworn in. The next day you declare military martial law across the United States. You, you'll suspend the Constitution. You'll suspend the courts at the federal level, and you'll start holding people accountable. And when I talk like that, it kind of scares some people. But you show me a way. You show me a party that's going to get us out of $28 trillion in debt. And if any, you know, even if Biden gets $1.5 trillion on this infrastructure bill, now we're up to 30. Then we're going to be at 32. Then we'll be at 33. Then we'll be at 35. When does the economy crash when we're at 40 trillion in debt and can't pay the bills? And if Trump would have been reelected, I was hoping that's what he was going to go after. Because if you remember the last time he signed a budget, he wasn't going to sign it. But Congress told him, we've got the votes to veto you. And he said, I will never sign another one of these. And he didn't. He didn't sign one in 2020. And if he did, I missed it. But uh, it's time for the political posturing to end on both sides. Because neither side, I don't care what they say in these hearings, what, what becomes of them? Nothing. 
Go back to when they got the AG bar in there. I watched that hearing. That wasn't a hearing. That was shades of Nazi Germany and going before Judge Friesler. All those guys that were uh, found to be in cohorts with the July 20th bomb plot against Hitler. That was a kangaroo court. Pull up some of those videos on YouTube. You can see it. That's exactly what the Democrats did to Barr. Well, that's what the Republicans will do to whoever the Democrats have. I mean, I'm not a fan of Merrick Garland. I watched a little bit of that hearing. But I do not have blind faith. Nothing happens to anybody. The subordinates go down with the ship. But the kingmakers don't go down. If they get a slap on the wrist, it's that's it. It's a slap on the wrist. No accountability. And the only way we're going to get accountability is if uh, you suspend Congress and the Senate. You wipe out the lobbyists. Those who you have information on, and I'm not talking about made-up stuff. You got hard evidence. They're going before a military tribunal. We're not going through these court system that can be appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed. And that's for both sides of the aisle. I'm talking about real justice, real consequences. If you violated the constitution while you were in office, you're going to jail and all your property is being seized and we'll sort it out later. But we got the, we got the goods. I'm sorry. Your family's on the street, but until These people are held accountable. Nothing's going to change. Abbott finally pulled his head out. And I've been raving about this since the ERCOT fiasco. He's finally enforcing what he can do based off the Texas Constitution. And stop these people from coming in. Because Biden's not going to do a damn thing. Harrison's going to do a damn thing. But then you've got all those on the left with blind faith that say there's no problem when there is a problem. But, you know, we're down to one person needs to be in charge. And the hell with what Congress and the Senate wants to do because they don't want to do anything but make money and waste time. And keep passing bills we can't pay for. Was I happy with all the money that Trump spent on COVID relief? Uh, no. Five trillion worth? No. How come the world, since the vaccine was developed here, how come the world hasn't stepped up and said, hey, we need the vaccine. Now we're going to help pay for some of those costs in the research and development. No, we paid for it. That was one of Trump's biggest things with NATO. We're tired of paying for it ourselves. Pay your fair share. So what would you charge? Now, granted, AstraZeneca, that's over in Europe. But if you're using the Johnson & Johnson or the Pfizer vaccine, and that was developed here, here's what it's going to cost. 
Nothing is free. Someone has to pay for it. We have to have law and order. We aren't getting it under our current form of government. We are getting chaos. We are getting what Germany went through after World War I and the horrendous Versailles Treaty and the Depression. Chaos reign the streets of Germany. The Weimar Republic, a democratic government, was helpless. They didn't know what to do. And I see that with our government today. Republican or Democratic, we don't know what to do. We'll get in front of the camera and we will make great statements and we will espouse great sayings and no action will be taken. Abbott should have done what he's doing now eight months ago. The border is closed. doesn't matter what the Fed say. I have no faith in our leaders on any side of the aisle. And it's always funny how the Republicans want to get all excited now that they're minority in the House and make all these accusations and attacks. But nothing happens because they don't have the majority. That's got to change. And the only way that changes when you got one person in control. This is what we're going to do. These are the laws on the books. And as far as the laws go, it's time to give the law an enema when it comes to criminals. Especially political criminals and government criminals. It's time to shut down all of the resort prisons that these politicians get. It's time for them to do hard time. That goes for the CEOs of corporations that are corrupt. You're going to do hard time, not easy time. You're going to do hard time. <clears throat> Hell, I'm all for bringing the chain gangs back. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, I should run for office, but the press would just destroy me. Because... I'd be accountable, and I would expect that from everyone else. I don't have blind faith. My eyes are wide open, and I'm watching both sides, and I see what's wrong. And if you read my Gateway series, that's Gateway Pioch, Destination DC, and Target Berlin. In the second book, I believe it's the second book, where I talk about the government has fought, has collapsed because of the corruption and all these people that were in cahoots with the Fourth Reich and trying to take over the U.S. government, how things were going to be handled from that point forward. And one guy was in charge, and he was making the calls. The press was held accountable. Politicians were held accountable. 
judges were held accountable. And if you didn't want to be held accountable, you went to jail. It was that simple. Okay. So don't have blind faith. What's good for America? That's what I am targeting. What is good for America? And what I see right now, I don't see anything good. Supreme Court, the DOJ, the CIA, the FBI, any of it. None of it. Okay. I've made a couple of references to enemas and things of that nature. Well, and I don't talk about this a lot, but uh, I do have prostate cancer. It is in the very early stages. And the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Fletcher Reddy, he has gone through, he was a radiologist for like 35 years. And we went through all the options that they have given me on what procedures, which procedure to choose. Cause they said I was a candidate for all of them. And I will start that journey next Friday. I'm also going to get a back scan Wednesday to see if there's something going on with the hardware that I had installed 11 years ago when I had a 360 lumectomy, which was not done at all. At all. But they're going to look at that just to see what is causing this pain to resonate down both legs of the sciatic nerve. And because I don't want to take drugs, I don't want to take painkillers. I've tried those, I've tried hydrocarbons hydrocodone and that's just not my drug of choice at all but so i do have some medical issues going on but uh i don't get excited about it and i don't dwell on it but i believe we have a plan to put together talk with the doctors i go in and get a spacer inserted friday and then i think it's something like five treatments of radiation therapy. And as you know, I've lost three people very close to me. Larry Smith was my superintendent at Cadillac Concrete. Lost him in 1990. Lost my father in 2005. And I lost Debbie in 2009. Each one died from cancer. And that's where I came up with the name of my publishing company, LDDJ Enterprises. Larry, Dad, David, and Jeff. I thought that was a good tribute to all of us. Because I was there with all three of them. But that's where we're at. And I don't think there's anything else to go over. Except if you like the content, go to BBS Radio One, Dawson's Domain, subscribe. When you watch this video and at your pleasure, comment. 
because sometimes I've noticed that uh, the comments don't show up during the live broadcast, but when I shut down and go back, that's when I see them. Not sure why that is, but, you know, is what it is. Uh, if you're looking to hire a speaker that will just go over basic hard-boiled management techniques that I've used in my 30-plus years in construction and some manufacturing experience. My rates are reasonable, just like advertising on here. So if you have products you want to advertise or be a guest, believe me, my rates are affordable. I'm not here to break the bank because I have seen what some sites charge. I've seen what local radio stations charge. And it's not cheap. Granted, they've got to pay for all their airtime. But this is fully funded by you listeners. So I do the seminars on cutting to the chase. All of my books are on Jeff Dawson at Amazon. And like I said, I really, the three reviews I read earlier, Terror at the Sterling, Final Delivery, and the Occupation Series, those are really good. And they're perfect for Halloween. And I'd like I said, I still have that GoFundMe. So you can contribute there. You can contribute in a lot of different ways to keep this show on the air. Because I enjoy doing this. I wouldn't mind doing it four times a month. But right now, the funds aren't there to do it. And that's all I've got for this episode. So... Now it's time to get ready for game four of the World Series. Get ready for the comedic debut at the Sterling tonight. And hell, I don't know what I'm doing on the 31st. I really don't care. But you all have a good, safe weekend. And hopefully I will talk to you in two weeks. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJ Enterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain. <laughs>